As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, daily garden tips, lots of snark, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and of course, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there was always a garden dialogue going on. Where, and a lot of people have uh, commented and looked at and passed on the picture there of Prince surrounded by a Photinia, <laughs> where he looks like the, he has this huge afro. Perfect. And we're going to be talking to that artist at 1130. She's an artist and a gardener who is now a firm believer in the power of mulch because mulch gave Prince his hair. And we'll talk about that at 1130 with artist Christine Stein. Also in a great Citizens. use of Photinia. Yes, great use of Photinia, exactly. Before it was a picture of Prince, it was a picture of Bob Ross, which is very appropriate, too, if you remember right. the yes. public TV <laughs> yes. artist. Kid's favorite. Uh, yes, Absolutely. on TV. That other voice you hear belongs to Don Shore from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis, which is open seven days a week, including Sundays. I don't know why he's here, because he should be at work. I have good staff, and we open at noon, that's why. Oh, okay, all right. So <laughs> 12 to 5 on Sundays. All right, so you'll be there to help people pick out tomato plants. Among other things. Among Yes, yes. among all those things. The whole front is tomatoes now, and it's going to be that way for every retail garden center in Northern California for the next probably six weeks. Mm-hmm. You walk in, you're just going to see a sea of tomato plants. Good choices. Many. Lots of good. That's what we've been talking about over on the KFPK Garden Show, and we've barely scratched the surface. So we will continue offering you terrific tomato tips on this edition of Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. How's the weather, Fred? Oh, I'm getting there. i got to say hi to Alex first because he gets paid by the high. Hi, Alex. <laughs> He's running the board today. He'll be jotting down names and numbers later on when we do the Garden Grappler at 11 o'clock, for which Don will be the official judge and hanging jury. Partly sunny day today, Don, Mm -hmm. with a high, you know, it's not that spring-like in that it's going to cloud up. Actually, the temperature today will be nice, 74. That's that's pretty perfect gardening weather right there. The the high tomorrow, though, 63. Yeah, we see that. A chance of showers, it looks like. Not a big storm coming in, but the temperature is going to drop back down, going to be feeling more, you know, late winter, early spring-like, I'm afraid. But But as a tomato grower, you're interested in those nighttime temperatures, and they're in the upper 50s, and later in the week. Upper 40s. Upper 40s. Upper 50s by the end of next week. Right, and 81 degrees, I see, for Thursday. 
Thursday. And that's really what I'm looking for is, you know, flirting with the 50s and up into the 80s. That is perfect tomato mm-hmm. planting weather. Finally, that's when we, we begin. There's no hurry. Uh, this is one of the funny things we run into. Is this all you're going to get is one of my absolute favorite questions when someone walks into a garden center right now and sees flats of tomatoes. Is this all you're going to get this year? <laughs> yes, right. We get one big yeah. shipment. That's it. No, they, there'll be plenty. Uh, every Any reputable garden center will have tomato plants all the way in through May and into June. This is pretty typical April weather yeah. where it changes on a dime, and that's why we always advise waiting until the latter part of April to plant tomatoes because the weather settles down by then. We yeah. get the typical warm days and nights with temperatures above 50 degrees, longer days as well. So it's a perfect time for helping them get established. One thing we didn't talk about over there that we should talk about over here is, and it was raised up in a uh, email question too, is let's say you grew your tomatoes from seed mm-hmm. and you realize, oh, I want to wait a couple more weeks, but they're too big in this little pot I have it in. I'm going to move it up. And I started my seeds with a seed starting mix. And then I put my tomatoes in a larger container with the seed starting mix and they don't look so hot. They need nitrogen at that point, and they and it would have been much simpler. What I always do, and this is there's some science under this, is I do use a seed starting mix mm-hmm. because it's disease free. Yeah, it, it doesn't encourage the damping off fungus. It can be a real problem when you're starting seedling vegetables indoors. Your your house is not a perfect place for vegetables to start from seed, but it's okay. Move them out as often as you can. Get good light and air movement on them. Once they're at the two leaf stage, the two true leaf stage, right. or beginning to get root bound in that little container. I move them up to whatever is the next size, a four inch, a quart pot, even a gallon can, depending on what it is. And then I go into a good quality potting soil that has some kind of fertilizer in it. I actually prefer the ones that are being sold for the cannabis industry because they're great. They've got mm-hmm. guano or dried chicken manure or something in there that's really going to give the plant a good boost. I brought you two tomato plants. Yes, you, you did. See Valley Girl of, and um, New Girl. New Girl. And you can see one of those is deep green mm-hmm. and vigorous. That went into Recipe 420, which is EBC. Stone and Sun Company's outstanding container soil mix for annual crops. Well, to be we say. perfectly correct on that, I believe the name of, of that EB Stone product is Formula 420. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, but yes. for people who don't want to be associated with April 20th in the nursery industry, uh, EB Stone sells them a, the, a similar product called Ultimate Recipe. That's right. Same thing. Yeah, same, and it's same a, they, I think there's one little variation. Right. But and not they've, much. they've added a good organic source of nitrogen there. Mm-hmm. And so you get some good deep green color and some vigor. If you did use the seedling mix or something that doesn't have the nutrient status, go ahead and feed them. Yeah. And I think fish emulsion is great, something like that. But I do personally, my own process is seedling mix to a good quality potting soil that has some kind of fertilizer in it. Just saves you a lot of trouble. Which brings me to the question I wanted to ask. We didn't tell people how to plant tomatoes. How to plant them in the ground. How to plant them in the ground. Well, you'll see a lot of different methods online. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, we know the internet is a great source of information. (laughs) I plant deep. Uh, It's one case where we actually dig a hole. My son bought me a power auger a couple years ago for planting tomatoes with. I'm serious. It's got a two-cycle engine. and, and A one-person auger. One-person auger, yes. Yeah. And it has a, comes with a six-inch uh, auger. Six-inch? Yeah. So I can stand there, <laughs> and I can make a hole two feet deep for a tomato in five seconds. I actually have to throw some soil back in when I do this. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't mind doing it for tomatoes because they will root out the stem. Mm-hmm. And uh, the plant, by the time I'm putting it in the ground, has often been in a gallon can at that point. So it may be as much as two feet tall. So I plant it down at least a few inches into the ground so that some of those nodes, the base where the leaf is or was after I pick it off, will root out. And they'll have a deeper and a better rooted plant. So is it the little hairs that are along the stem? That no, those, aren't, those don't become roots, but the roots are ready to go. You'll often see them on older tomatoes 
tomato plants, even in nurseries in the four inch pot where they've already started putting out little root, right. pushing out of the base of the, of the node, base of the leaf. Think of it, it as tomato acne. Right. Yes. <laughs> and the good news about this is they'll root readily, so you get a deeper-rooted plant, and you can get it, get it off to a better start. Well, then the question is, to trim or not to trim? Do trim. you keep the leaves on, or do you take the leaves I, off? I pinch them off as it's going in the ground, simply because I don't feel like burying them. I don't honestly think that makes that much difference. And but, how but much deeper do you, planting is, is a good practice. What do you leave exposed? At least half the plant, typically. Half the plant. So okay. it's usually six inches sticking out the top, which means with a two-foot augered hole... Uh, we actually, it took us five minutes to make 30 holes last year. This thing is incredible. I suggest it for your, you know, for your Christmas list, ask for a soil auger for your tomato planting. It is an unbelievable how fast it goes. Uh, it depends um, on your soil. I right. don't recommend There's, that for anybody in Harold. Oh, there you go. Well, no, true. We're on a silty loam out where we are. So, but it, uh, it, we're planting deep and we're watering thoroughly. And then we, uh, when we do that, you know, we give it yeah. a couple gallons of water at the time of planting. It can actually go several days before it needs water. Again. Oh, and if you live in Folsom, get a pneumatic hammer. Right, you may have yeah. rocks in the way in some areas where people are listening. So, yeah. no, a deep hole, plant them deep, and go ahead and make a nice basin around it. I water with drip. I have many people water by hand. That's fine. Whatever you want to water with, as long as you give it a good thorough soaking each time you do, and then go typically in our soil several days between waterings. But those of you listening with raised planters, it's a whole different conversation. Right. That's like planting in containers. Yeah, you and if you're need... plant, you can still plant deep yeah. in that raised bed or that container, yeah. but it's going to need more regular watering my recollection is you were watering daily when you had raised planters yeah. and that be, that is necessary because of the kind of soil you bring in you yeah. typically aren't using native soil but it wasn't so that's that a whole much different water kind. but right right total i think i added up everything you were doing and it worked out to about the same number of gallons mm-hmm. i was doing you just had to split it up to do it every day and i could do it with you know silty loam agricultural soil once a week but we weren't wasting water yeah. either as the tree got, the, the, yeah. the vine got what it needed. And it's so. the miracle of modern timers, irrigation timers, yeah. that you can do yeah. that. Yeah. The more and more of the, even the inexpensive timers that you can buy at hardware stores have like a drip irrigation setting where you, it can be on for more than an hour. Or so. Now, do you put fertilizer in when you plant your tomato? <sighs> Generally not. I usually uh, use a liquid fertilizer after planting, a weak concoction of fish emulsion and kelp meal. Okay, I've done something like that, or I'll just put in a small amount of fertilizer at the time of planting. Yeah. That's generally all we need here. Uh, some places you might need, you know, places where it rains a lot, you might need more fertilizer during the growing season. Mm-hmm. Here, feeding at the time of planting is generally all you need to do. If you've turned in some chicken manure or something like that, that's probably fine. I water with drip, and uh, I water the tomatoes. I almost always plant them separately from all the other vegetables because they can go much deeper and less frequently than the other types of summer vegetables. Just so there is no misunderstanding when you say you fertilize at planting and that's it, you will fertilize probably once a month or so as the plant grows. No, no, not in our soil. I feed at the time of planting. And that's it? For the tomato, yes. Kids, don't try that at home. <laughs> depends on your soil. It depends yeah. on your fertilizer, <laughs> yeah. too. I would say read and follow the label directions yeah, as far I'll, as fertilizer application. If I'm putting in a dry fertilizer, this an organic base, I'll put in at the time of planting. Yeah. That takes care of the whole season. Really? If you're in, in a raised bed, it's not going to hold those nutrients well, so you're going to need to fertilize probably there, yes, monthly. Yeah. yeah. Don's answer is with an asterisk, folks. Ag soil. Yeah. 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 Okay. Depends on where you're listening. But if you're in a container or a raised bed, 
you're going to have to make more frequent but lighter applications of fertilizer. I'm always concerned about people overfeeding tomatoes. If we want, if we had a use for the foliage, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, when you overfeed them too much nitrogen, you just get these mammoth vines, and they don't yield as well. And so you also you lose of, your blossoms, too. You kind of have to adjust to where you are as to our advice on that. We have to take a break. When we come back, people are calling with questions. Let's make up some answers. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And uh, think about this one during the break, Don. Lynn wants to know how to get rid of the rats that are eating her tomatoes in the garden. We'll take longer than a break to figure out the answer to that one, but we'll make up something. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Clue available at farmerfred.com. Just click on the link that says a clue for the Garden Grappler. I think it's two different clues, too, in each location. So that may help you or it may confuse you. Good luck. Don Shore is here from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis. People have questions. We make up answers. 916-576-1578-866-331-8255. Off we go to the Bay Area and Ray in Danville. Hi, Ray. Hi, guys. Don, Fred, love the show. Thank you. Thank you. So we have very heavy clay soil in Danville, Mm. and I want to do drip irrigation for the first time ever with my tomatoes and then also zooks and... Green uh, bell peppers and cucumbers. Is a a zook a cross between a zucchini and a cucumber? (laughs) (laughs) Zucchini, sorry. So Don is making it sound like I should have two separate lines, one for tomato and one for the others. That's what I do. And the reason I do that is that I water the tomatoes deeply and less often, and everything else wants water more frequently. If you can possibly do that. Simple enough to just get a splitter in the line, just a same, you know, Y coupling, so that at first, when I do this, everything gets watered the same for the first few weeks because they're all young plants. Yeah. They're all watering every couple of days, depending on what we need. And then gradually, as the, as the tomatoes are getting up one to two feet and beginning to flower, I water them about half as often and twice as long, whatever that ah. is for your soil. And that can work. You can do that manually. You can just go out there and switch that little splitter if you're watering it by hand. If you have a timer, it would be better if it's on its own valve, but that may be challenging. They just need deeper watering, and they don't need it as frequently. The good news yeah. about clay soil is that water, as it spreads through the ground, is going to give you a wider footprint, and that's a good thing. Yep. For most people who plant in raised beds or containers, I always suggest having an emitter on either side of the plant or doing a spiral around the plant with quarter-inch tubing because coming it, off a half-inch main line. Because it drains so fast. Yeah, yeah. right. Whereas in your Got soil, it. if you put it one emitter at the base of that plant, and even a one-gallon an hour, two-gallon an hour Two emitter, is preferable. Yeah, that's what I usually use. And you let it run for an hour, it'll go out more than it goes down. It'll wet the whole root zone for you. Uh, so you should be able to water more easily than Fred does with his raised planter. We've had lots of conversations over the years because Fred would build these fancy raised beds, fill them with super fancy soil that drains like Very crazy, fancy. and he'd end up having to have emitters every, you know, six inches or foot down the row. Now, in my bed, which <laughs> is, the raised beds are four feet wide by eight feet long, in a four-foot-wide bed, I'm running four lateral lines, half yeah. four lateral half-inch lines, and the emitters are spaced 12 inches apart. So now, foot. E- each line is staggered. Obviously, the, the, the emitters aren't in a row going across, right. so they're staggered. 
And uh, they do that at the Ferro Tort Center, too, yeah. in their beds, which are also four feet wide, is to run four lines. Because of the narrow footprint of the soil in raised beds, you need to get more water in there. So the advantage your heavy soil has is you can water very deeply and probably go two, three, four days between waterings for the shallower-rooted plants like the peppers and the eggplant and the beans. And you might be able to go even as much as six or seven days between waterings with your tomatoes if you give them a deep enough soaking when you do. And the plant will grow better and generally yield better. And we're also told the flavor is better when you do that. So you'll have to calibrate it yourself because when you say heavy soil, we don't know exactly what that means. But the question is, does water soak in when you water slowly for a long time or does it just run off? If it's running off, then you've got a problem. But if it soaks in, you can give that plant at least a couple gallons and you should be able to go fairly long intervals between waterings. The key is not having the root zone flooded all the time. Yep. It needs drainage. That's what's so got important. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so next question. Do I want to have my uh, dripper line on the surface, or I've heard some people put it six inches below the surface? Well, There, I, there are inline emitters that yeah. are meant to be buried. There are certain high-quality lines that, but it, it has to be, it has to say that on the label yeah. of the Got drip it. line you buy, that it can be buried. I like to see it on the okay. surface because I like to see it working. Yeah. I'm just kind of old Got school it. that way, and then I can make sure every emitter is doing what it's supposed to. And also, in your garden beds, a vegetable garden, you're going to probably pull them out and change them around every so often. So uh, I just find that more flexible. By the way, you bring up a good point. For people with existing drip systems and you haven't turned your system on yet, Mm. take off the end plugs, turn on the water, and flush out those tubes. And let it run for five or ten minutes to flush them out and then put the end caps back on. Yep. Does that help? Great, guys. Thank you. Send send Fred a picture at the end of the season. Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. Monitor that soil moisture, Ray. That's okay, a, thank that's you. That's the only way to do it, really. That's a very good point about flushing out the drip systems. I have uh, almonds and walnuts that are on drip, and I take the oh, end off. Oh, you're a off. rich farmer. I'm, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I take it off, and I turn the thing on for about 25, 30 minutes. At the end of each line, which may be several hundred feet, I could fill my hand with a heap of the salt Crap. stuff yeah. that comes out at the end. Oh, Mostly well, calcium deposits would yes. be my guess. Yeah. The occasional earwig or whatever that's somehow gotten in there. Not quite sure how that happened. Well, do you have the good Davis water or the bad Davis water? I'm on a water? well outside of Dixon. Oh. So I have uh, lots of salt content in yeah. my water. And and if I and I if I don't flush that out, all that stuff tries to go through the emitters. Mm-hmm. Then I have to replace a lot of emitters. Yeah, that's why if you do have a lot of junk in your system, especially on well waters, Mm -hmm. man, oh man, be sure to have at least a Y filter on your drip system to uh, flush out some of those sediments before it even has a chance to get to the tubing. And then if if you start seeing the white crusty buildup around your emitters on your drip line, Get in the habit of flushing out those lines once a month. Every so often, yeah. 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 And, and those listeners in Davis know that we've gone over to surface water in the last few years. We now get most of our water from, where? from the Sacramento River. No, Sacramento, Sacramento River. River, yep. <laughs> Davis and Woodland paid to bring in oh. Sacramento River water, 100% for Woodland, yeah. about 80 to 90% for Davis. And every now and then they do go back to the wells where they mix some well water in there. So we still have some of those salts, still some borax, still some calcium. Not like it used to be. Mm-hmm. The pH is still high. It's still 8.1. Can you grow magnolias yet? Uh, we're, we're, people are growing camellias, azaleas, and blueberries, right. but they're okay. adding sulfur to do it. Mm, so. Okay. All right. Lynn and Folsom asks, I'm still looking for an environmentally friendly way to keep the rats away from my tomatoes in the garden. This year, I'm mm. going to try a recipe I found online. 
Oh, great. Diatomaceous <laughs> earth scented with lemon or peppermint oil. Well, that'll smell nice. I yes. have a feeling it won't do anything for the rats, but it's worth a try. Oh, they may enjoy it, the smell. Um, they may find it pleasant as well. I, have, I always have issues with online recipes because you never know. That one doesn't. That one sounds pretty benign, but every now and then there's things in there that I'm worried about them burning the plants or right, yeah. haven't been tested for that purpose. Uh, so there are actually repellents that you can you can buy that you can purchase and spray on. Most of them smell pretty pretty ghastly. I we received one a case by accident of a repellent spray. I had ordered fertilizer, and then my <laughs> staff is looking at it going, "What the heck is this?" And the active ingredient is putrefied eggs. Oh, and so obviously it has delight. a rather pungent yeah. sulfur odor, which they modify somewhat with wintergreen to make it more pleasantly putrefactive. Um, and apparently this is a reasonable animal repellent. So you can buy these things and try them, but you yourself need to be aware that the odors, if they're repellent to animals, are probably somewhat repellent to you. Rats are a challenge, as are squirrels. They're very, very difficult to keep out of your garden. Squirrels are even worse than tree rats or, or roof rats, in my opinion, because they're vandals. They come in, they knock off all the green fruit. I mean, they don't, they're not even eating it. They're just coming in and, and messing with you. Um, you can spray them with a super soaker right in the face with some soapy water. That's fun and makes you feel better. But basically what really works is a barrier of some kind. That's really the only thing that works for, for rodents of any kind is some kind of barrier to get them to move on to your neighbor's property. Yeah. In my case, it's my gray cat, Walt, who uh, brings in the rats inside. Probably puts a small dent in the population. The squirrels have yeah. become a huge problem for Davis residents yes. and Sacramento folks have been dealing oh, with yes. them yes. for a long time. And it's, you know, I can tell you, having been trained in this years ago, reduce habitat, remove food sources, take away nesting sites. Well, none of those are really practical, honestly. Well, if you're putting cat food out, stop doing oh, that. Oh, yeah, don't Stop do that. doing that. Yeah. Don't feed the squirrels, please. If you're feeding the squirrels, you're creating problems. However, but, I have trained my dogs. All I need to do is look out the window. I see a squirrel running around the fence. I say, squirrel! <laughs> and the dogs go running down the stairs, out the door, and go bark at the fence. That helps. Yeah. yeah. But if they're actually coming in, taking all the young fruit off or damaging the, I had a, a staff person who's all of his tomatoes, every time they set green, were knocking them off. He finally just caged over the cage. I mean, he basically draped over the tomato with, mm-hmm. with bird netting, which did work even though they could get through it. They didn't want to. They get tangled in yeah, it. They don't right. like that. Yeah. You have to remember to keep lifting it up so the plant doesn't go through it yeah. and end up with a, just a big tangled mess. But it did create a barrier that was reasonably effective. Yeah, that's interesting. You, if you're growing your tomato in a cage, I guess you could make a, a wider cage, maybe out of hardware cloth or something. something with a smaller mesh, and slip that around it. But then every time you want a tomato, you have to take that cage it, off. It's a hassle, honestly. Yeah. The, the bird netting did work reasonably well because if they do get tangled, they get distressed and they just move on. If they're really motivated, of course they can get through that so they're very challenging unfortunately there are repellent sprays you can purchase which have actually been tested labeled and registered with the epa and labeled for that purpose they mostly work by having horrific smell and most repellents the animal gets used to after a while yeah i don't know about putrefied eggs but uh but certainly there it's worth a try depends how hungry they are right and uh, i mean talk to anybody who has deer on their property yeah, and hungry deer will eat anything that's yeah. in the in the way, even yeah. things they can't digest. So that gets into fencing materials. But we have to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about accessories for your tomato plants. Okay, because there are some that are good, and, and there ba- are some that, that are a waste of yeah, you know, jewelry, whatever. Right. Uh, some that are a waste of money, and some that are a, a good idea, especially this time of year to have uh, with your tomato plants. And we'll cover that when we okay. come back to get growing right here on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. Thank you. 
continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Don Shore from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis. Don't forget a garden grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. It's tomato planting day, April 28th, but you might as well plant now because it's okay. What with global warming or whatever. One of the questions I keep getting from people, with the summers getting hotter, shouldn't we plant earlier? Mm. Or one of the saddest things I hear is in the middle of August, someone will come in and say, well, I just ripped out my tomato vines. They were done. And I'm, I want to say, no, they weren't, no. they weren't done. We have, we have such a long growing season yeah, here. We have fall after tomato, Tomatoes can set in late August yeah. and be right. My, my busiest month in the kitchen from the tomatoes is October. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. That's when everything's yeah. coming in. I've gotten to the point where I'm not even separating them anymore. I'm just big pots and cooking them down into puree. And those all set in late August, early September. We have, mm-hmm. here's an interesting data point. We are in the Sacramento area, the sunniest place on the planet, June, July, and August. Oh, just for those three months. Okay. And, and, That's good. and September, I believe. I was going to say Tucson, but not you're the right. hottest. Yeah. Not the hottest place on the planet yeah. by any stretch. The sunniest place because of how far north we are and the fact that we have no cloud cover right. essentially from May through mid-October. As Uncle Ralph from Chicago would say, staring at the Sacramento sky, how boring. That's right. <laughs> you can blue. count on sunlight all yeah. day. So we have a very, very long growing season, and we do have suitable temperatures for fruit set all the way in, you know, through the summer for many varieties, up and down. So obviously in a hotter summer, maybe some varieties don't set as well. Mm-hmm. But most of us who grow tomatoes find ourselves really grappling with a large number of fruit late September yeah. and October. That's when you're really getting the quantity. And of you'll very, have very them for Thanksgiving, fruit. too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, every, smaller varieties. You can even go out there and pick one, you know, take a picture on Christmas Day and send it to your friends yeah. back east just for fun. Now, one consistent late-season performer in my garden for the last four or five years where you're going to get tomatoes in November mm-hmm. is Legend. Okay. And it seems to do very well as the season goes on. The days get shorter and colder, and yet it's still producing. Well, I've, what I will say there is that tougher-skinned types, so one of the reasons I like Lemon Boy, even though there's better yellow and orange tomatoes out there, is it seems to have a tougher skin that just hangs on there even when the nights are getting colder. We get below about 50, 55 in the, in the fall. Tomatoes will go from ripe to spoiling very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. We get a rainstorm, they will. But some that have that, that tougher skin, like Champion, like Lemon Boy, will keep hanging on there. There's always one variety that's still on the, the cage out there when you've taken all the others out and you're still picking them that late in the season. So don't pull them out in August. Think about giving it a very good soaking and maybe an extra little dose of fertilizer. You should get a whole other second wind on them. Yeah. Especially cherry tomatoes. Oh, yeah. uh, let them stay in the ground as long as possible because they'll keep producing. Generally, when I get that comment or question, I want to ask how they're watering because mm-hmm. most commonly they're what we like to call technically deficit irrigating. In other words, they're barely keeping the plant going. They're not providing even the daily ET rate. And that's where we get into this deep soaking intermittently that gives tomato vines, which roots can go two, three, four feet deep yeah. with no problem, can give them another, another whole surge of growth and get another set of bloom and fruit. Even though here in the 21st century we do not have flying cars yet, we are, <laughs> we're very close to having enough soil sensors hooked up to irrigation control systems that will only turn on the water when the soil needs it. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's they all, exist. Yeah, oh, they, they exist do. on yeah. on ag basis, yeah. but it's getting more and more for the homeowner. They're yeah. getting available, and that's uh, this is the answer to all our problems. No, we'll be out of work. You need an eighteen-inch screwdriver. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, let's talk about tomato accessories. Okay. All right, I a mean, cage. That's it, the first one you okay, absolutely well, must have. If yeah. you, if I owned a nursery next to my tomato plants, I'd have this huge display 
of you should buy this. If you're going to buy the tomato, this is what you need. Mm-hmm. This time of year, you do want to provide it a bit of warmth. So some sort of hot cap, some sort of wall of water. You can do those, especially if you're jumping the gun and planning back in March or mm-hmm. you know even in February, then you definitely should warm it. I have a customer who told me yesterday that he was planning in early March, way too cold for him. So he put the cage on yeah. and then he wrapped it with saran wrap. Okay, well, that's a fairly primitive way to do it, but it did work. He said you could stick your hand in there, and it felt like a little greenhouse. I'm kind of wondering why he was so anxious to plant that early when we have that incredibly long growing season. But there's ways to to cover the plant. I hope he removed the saran wrap. I suggested that today might be a good day to take that off. Uh, You can get what we call floating row cover, seedling blanket, and it's really (laughs) simple to apply. You just basically drape it over the plant on something is best, but just on that tomato cage. That's really the one accessory you must have when you buy your tomato is something that a will support system. hold it up off the ground. Yes. I don't care whether you use a stake like my father did and keep yeah. tying it up to that or whether you put a couple stakes in or you buy those tomato cages we all sell that are actually too small for tomatoes. Those are pepper cages. Right, or you go down to the hardware store right down the street from us where I send people all spring long and you ask them for concrete reinforcing Thank wire yes. with a six-inch grid, which yeah. they will cut to the five-foot length you need to make a respectable tomato cage for a suitable tomato in the Sacramento Valley. And actually, and you can uh, reuse place, those year after year. Places like Lowe's and Home Depot sell the concrete reinforcement wire as sheets, right. four foot by five feet sheets. Right. And that is perfect for just bending. And you can either, uh, you know, use a good pair of uh, wire cutters mm-hmm. to, to fasten that circle together as a cylinder or use plastic zip ties. I use a cylinder, and I actually I go ahead and get a metal tri-stake because I'm out in the country, and if the wind blows and mm-hmm. that is all full of tomato foliage and it blows over, that's a big hassle. Explain so, a tri-stake. Uh, that's one of those metal stakes they use for fence posts that you can buy. You can put in with a stake pounder, which you can borrow from me if you're in Davis, and it, you put in very securely. And this isn't a T-post. Uh, yes, thank oh, you. Yes. Oh, it is a T-post. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. all right. And uh, then attach the, uh, the the tomato cage to that. I mean, I, yeah. your, your cage should be sturdy, mm-hmm. should be at least five feet tall, yep. unless you have in, you have only determinate tomatoes. And, and it diameter, be, two and a half, uh, three minor feet? Minor two and a half to three feet, so it yeah. takes about five feet of, of concrete mm-hmm. wire. They do make some nice tomato cages, which are unfortunately too small for most tomatoes, but at least yeah. they'll get them confined for the first part of the season. Now, more and more nurseries are selling these huge tomato cages. Yeah. It's about time, and they're yeah. really, like, I I get, they're 12-gauge wire. I get 52-inch ones that are heavy yeah. wire. They're, yeah. they're pricey, but they do the job, and they can storm from year to year. Yeah. If you don't do that, you're going to really have a mess on your hands. Yeah. And so that's the one thing a tomato really needs, you could, get up off the ground. You could do that T-post thing and maybe string wire uh, between the two T-posts and then sure. tie them to the wire. If Dad you just took one stake, stuck it in next to the vine, and this is in San Diego where he could plant in January and he would just tie it up the post until it got to the top and mm-hmm. then it would cascade down from that and by July or August it was pretty much a jungle out there but at least he got them up off the ground right. I mean, that was that was the simple inexpensive primitive approach uh, two or three stakes would be better because then you can kind of create mm-hmm. a little bit of a thing yep. if you're really serious about tomatoes you should probably buy some kind of caging system that works for your yard all right what and, about useless stuff now Oh, almost everything else. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, this, we don't really need all this other stuff for tomatoes. Uh, they, the soil absorbs water properly. They, you feed them at the time of planting. That's it's probably like, all they need. You and, don't need a soil surfactant. No, I don't think so. No. I mean, I can't imagine a soil where you would benefit from adding any kind of special yeah. surfactant to the soil. Those are basically just soap. I mean, they're just detergent. They help water penetrate. To they're, me, the, the big, I, I won't say scam, but useless product to buy mm-hmm. are calcium sprays. 
Well, they do nothing. No, okay. Yeah. That's that's the the whole issue. There is that a lot of the research over the years on blossom end rot, which yeah. is what you're referring to the right. calcium sprays for, was seemingly misdirected. There was an association of calcium deficiency in the plant or near the fruit that they thought was the cause of blossom end mm-hmm. rot. It's not. Blossom end rot is not caused by a deficiency of calcium in the soil or in the water or in the plant itself. So unfortunately for those of us in retail, all those products that were developed to prevent, cure, ameliorate blossom end rot don't really do anything. Well, now calcium plays a part in this in that if the the problem goes back to irregular watering and if you put your plants on a boom or bust cycle of water, Mm -hmm. there is what's called root suberization where basically the roots kind of cork over and that prohibits the uptake of calcium. I haven't used the term suberization in a conversation for a long time. I like it. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, usually it's... Quark it's, is super. That's right. It's temperature and, and moisture related. We know that. It correlates yeah. with that. It is correlated with excess use of certain positive ions like ammonium. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to fertilize with sulfate of ammonia, you can inadvertently increase blossom end rot. That's a correlation. So we just know that. There's no product that you can spray. Mm-hmm. Putting Tums in the planting hole does not no. work. Epsom salts don't do anything. Gypsum probably won't correct it. It just corrects itself. Right. Just water deeply, water carefully, and the problem, and the next fruit will be fine. There are some varieties that are just susceptible to blossom end rot yeah, as Roma. well, especially the paste tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. Roma. Roma's yeah. famous for it, yeah. Now, besides uh, the useless calcium sprays, people usually in May or June start seeing the blossoms falling off their mm-hmm. tomato plants and mm-hmm. oh let me sell you this spray it's it's a blossom preservation spray those are hormone based I mean you can use those I, I recall that research came out of places like Oregon which are not really great you know tomato growing regions like Corvallis Oregon where it's just cold and yeah. uh, you can get fruit to set by spraying with gibberellins I do believe that's probably true it's just temperature related so when the nights are too cold or the days are too warm, blossoms fall off. They just right. don't self-pollinate. Yeah. And, you know, we have such a long season. I don't see the point in that here. If you're listening in Corvallis, maybe, you know, talk with your local extension people. But we just get blossom set weather appropriately from about May all the way through the summer at various times. So the super so, glue for blossoms? Pointless. Pointless. Okay. Pointless. Sorry, right. folks. All right. I'd just rather sell you another tomato plant. <laughs> I mean, my philosophy on this kind of stuff is I'd rather have you buy a plant than yeah. something, some weird product that's supposed to make it work. Now, I have a customer who's experimented with the colored mulches. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I've done that. Yeah, too. and yeah. the red the red right. plastic, yeah. that kind of thing. And he seems to feel that it gives some some benefit. So I'm going to experiment with it a little bit this year. I've seen a lot of work on that. Let me the, tell you my results of that. Okay. I use red plastic mulches recommended by the University of Tennessee based uh-huh. on their experiments using a red plastic mulch beneath their tomato plants when they planted the tomatoes. Yes, they got more tomatoes early in the season. Early. Early in the season. And then it dropped off. The production dropped off. So overall, the effect was not there. Now, here's the other question. Pruning tomato plants. Well, there Uh, we go. The studies have always shown that pruning reduces yield. Mm-hmm. It can, yeah, exactly. Yeah, overall, it <laughs> makes sense. I mean, it, yeah. so pruning is generally done in places where they have a short season, or in some rather specialized situations like Florida, where they're aiming for early production of large, perfect, beautiful red tomatoes to mm-hmm. sell at farmers market at four times the price per pound that they will get a month later because they're the first of the season. It does reduce yield overall. It does probably hasten the ripening of the very first ones that set. You may need to prune if you're training them up onto some complicated structure. Uh, so if they're going up like a vine, as they are, if you're training them up onto something where you're tying them up onto this, you may want to remove the suckers yeah. from the base. But overall, 
My experience and all the data show that pruning tomatoes overall reduces total yield. So if you're spending your time with your little nippers taking out the armpit hairs of those tomato plants, <laughs> as, as some books would suggest you yeah, do in order Minnesota, to improve production, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, trimming out those little pop-up little leaves that come between the crotch of two right. branches it's it's i'm glad you got that spare time that's all it probably reduces yield and, and probably doesn't have any effect on quality so yeah. in our area here in the great vast sacramento valley where tomatoes are one of the number one agricultural crops put it in the ground starter fertilizer of some sort is fine water deeply figure out how you're going to water it put a cage on it that's good and secure stake mm-hmm. that cage securely and just wait. And the main thing you're going to have to do is poke it back into the cage as the season goes along yeah. and it tries to run out or over the Or trim ground. off the branches that are getting in your way as you walk. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. mentioned a tip. I think it was over on the KFBK show. Maybe it was here. I don't remember anymore. But it was a very good tip. Before you plant your tomatoes, water your soil thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And that way you're getting off to a good start. Yeah, I mean, if you, especially during the drought years when people are going out there and planting into dry soil, everything yeah. should be really thoroughly soaked. The basic principle of drip irrigation where your landscaper has put it in and is telling you, I'm just setting this to run a few minutes a day to replace the daily evapotranspiration rate. The assumption there is that your soil is at field capacity, to use the jargon, means it's been thoroughly watered, Mm -hmm. drained out, and has good available moisture. And in a raised planter, that can drain away very quickly. So it's important to give enough to bring it back to field capacity every now and then. Field capacity is best represented when you reach down about eight inches deep, grab a handful of that soil. It should form a dirt clod yet break up with a little bit of pressure. Right. If water's running down your arm, that's too much water. If it's like sand when you bring it up, you need water. Yeah, and in a raised bed, or bed, you've probably brought in soil that's rather sandy. So. Right. All right, we need to take a break. Millie and Concord, hang on there. We're going to get to your question when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to our edition, our tomato edition. So you can only plant six tomato plants. Don't torture me, Don. (laughs) That's Don Shore from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis. Yeah, normally, uh, well, not normally. In in my old life, I'd easily put in 40. Yeah. And now. So that makes it an important choice. What are those six? What six are the Fred Hoffman approved tomatoes? Two I'm going to try that I've never tried before, but it come highly recommended, and, and you have seconded those recommendations, Champion mm-hmm. and Juliet. Okay. All right. Now, you've graciously uh, brought in two for me, Valley Girl and... New Girl. New Girl. Yep. Okay. Now, you can give those to a neighbor if necessary. You've only got room for six. I won't be offended okay. if your, your neighbor who has a larger yard... Yeah. ...can plant them and give you a report on them, but they're... Yeah, they're new. You've got to test them. Right. That, and that leaves basically three or four. Uh, I know that I'm going to plant a sun gold and a sweet million for my cherry tomatoes. Okay. All right. And with the Juliet, will it be fine? So that leaves like two yeah. options. And they're going to have to be able to take part sun. Okay. And it'd be nice if they were full-size tomatoes. Well, you've got those those four you've pulled right off of my best bets list. I mean, okay. at least three of them. I've got that Chef's Choice Orange that I always mention. I know you're not going to bother with Costoluto Genovese. No. no. Uh, Fourth of July, 
is one that comes highly recommended by Dr. Norris. People in Yellow County know Dr. Robert Norris. Bob Norris, yeah. Um, and that's one that he mentioned, and I grew it. It's a phenomenal producer, by the way, for those of you listening out there. Fourth of July, two to four ounce fruit, you know, so a smaller, mm-hmm. larger yeah. than a cherry, but but not by much. Good flavor, really nice color, good productive one. Probably a good one for part shade. That might be one you could consider. It's 4th of July. Add that to your list. I'll write it down. And uh, and it does definitely produces well. Uh, Early Girl is always on my list, and I always suggest Whopper. And the reason I suggest Park's Whopper is because we have the, the mystique of beefsteak types. People want those great big tomatoes. Whopper is a big fruited tomato that does well here. Yeah. So over the space of uh, 45 minutes, you aren't recommending Chef's Choice Orange anymore? <laughs> <laughs> if everyone listening doesn't plan that, I'm disappointed, okay? Okay. <laughs> so that was, yeah, Champion, Chef's Choice, Castellito Genovese, for those of you who yeah. like an Italian-style tomato that's great for cooking. Yeah. One of my favorites. Early Girl, 4th of July. Yeah. I definitely think that's a good one. You've got Sweet 100, Juliet. No, 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 Sweet Million. Sweet Million, no, yeah, it's even better. Sweet 100. Uh, Juliet and Whopper. I would say if, if no, you... No, I don't have Whopper. Well, you should. No, Try that one. I don't want Whopper. <laughs> I've had Whopper And before. Sun Gold. Sun Gold. Let's go to Millie's wondering why we're not talking to Hi, her. Hi, Millie. Hi, Millie. Hi. Thanks for um, holding. I'm just calling to, I've been growing tomatoes for 40 years mm-hmm. or more. And um, so now I'm down to just early girls and cherry tomatoes. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So what I do is um, I, and in October, when I have about, you know, 10 early girls left, I mean, just early girls, um, I cut the branches because there's still green tomatoes on them. I cut the branches maybe two feet long, mm-hmm. and, and the, usually they have three or four tomatoes on them, yeah. and I hang them on a clothesline in my garage. So I may hang maybe 20, 30 little branches, well, not little, they're yeah. big, yeah. And, and then I have t- green tomatoes that slowly turn red, so I'm still eating red tomatoes in February. Yeah, like, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to bring up the whole plant and hang the whole plant upside down. I think her, yeah, ma- her method sounds do. tidier. I think I'm going to try this this yeah, year. Well, this sounds great. But I, I, I have a small garage, so I can, <laughs> you know, and I have my car in it. Yeah. And the other thing I do now is I buy a three-pack from Costco, and they're like, you know, two and a half feet tall. I put them in on April 1st, mm-hmm. and so early girls, of course, yeah. June 1st, I have red tomatoes. And then I buy the little tiny ones, you know, like a, Jerry, yeah. a little four by four. Oh, yeah. And I just uh, stick those here and there. And I have, they can take their time, but I'm already got my red tomatoes June 1st. June 1st. When, oh, my goodness. One of the ways to determine whether that green tomato is going to turn red or not is there should be a slight tinge of yellow to the tomato. Mm-hmm. The more tinge of yellow, the better the chances that it will eventually turn red. I, I did a whole blog post. Yeah on yeah. the turning of green tomatoes and when they're usable and when they're not. Yeah, I think what she's doing gives you a pretty good chance because you've got a whole range of them ripening on there. Right. Yeah, some of them you probably use as green tomatoes because they never get past that green ripe stage. Um, but most of them ripen, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah they do. Mo- yeah. I, I really have no problem. I've always had, they all turn red. Yeah. I even uh, last year I, I do a cherry tomatoes because I had quite a few of those. So I just hung them on the clothesline and... And so, it was, they started turning red. And, so you're putting you know, fresh tomatoes fine. in salads for your family, January, February. Well, <laughs> yeah, what I do is I, I also dry a lot of tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. And I freeze them in back, you know, put them in the freezer. You just, just sun them. away or yeah. whatever. The other option, too, that some people employ is picking those green and slightly yellow tomatoes 
and putting them on a single layer in a box yeah. on a newspaper. That's true, yeah. As I've long as they're not it. touching, they should be okay. Write yeah. this one down to try sometime when you have the room. It's called Principa Borghese. Yeah. Right. And that's, that yeah. one is used for sun drying. So anybody well, listening out there, it's a classic for just cut it in half, put it on a screen out in the sun, and they dry themselves. Principa Borghese. Principa Borghese. Another Italian heirloom for Fred to try. Yeah, just well, you know, it. another thing I did one time years ago was, you know, tomatoes come from a hot country. Yeah. So one year I planted five of them by themselves, away from everything else, watered them once, and I still got tons of red tomatoes. That's what they call dry farming, and it is an interesting technique. We really should talk about that at some point, because Alice Waters of Chez Panisse once said the very best tomato she ever tasted was an early girl tomato that was dry farmed by a friend in Napa. High quantity of sugar. Yeah. Yeah. You water once, and then the plant fends for itself until it ripens. Oh, and you know how I keep those big fat worms off the tomatoes? I did this, too. I would save my coffee grounds, and so when the tomatoes were like three feet tall or four mm-hmm. feet tall, I would take the, the coffee, I would wet the tops of the, the tomatoes, and then I would sprinkle with coffee grounds. <laughs> and I never got a, to repel uh, the worms. I never got a, a worm ever I, again. I, I think that's a coincidence. Could be. You never know. It's, a, it's an anecdotal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> coffee grounds are perfectly good for the garden, so it didn't hurt in any that's of That's right. There you go. I, I prefer to encourage birds to visit the garden a lot. <laughs> I pick them and throw them over the fence into your neighbor's yard. There's that. Right, no, thanks. you need chickens for that. Yeah, and I had a, one time I had a couple of chickens, and they would go through the tomato plants and take all those big worms off. Yeah. And, oh, and, and they never took the tomatoes? No, they never touched the tomatoes, just the worms. There you go. Mm, all right, all right. Really, thanks. thanks. That's Kelly. a great suggestion. I'll try that with all my right. girls this year. Enjoy your June tomatoes. Oh, I will. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You know what? They didn't sell them this year at my Costco. Uh Uh-oh. Well, Well, you might have to go to an actual nursery then. Yeah. (laughs) I got the regular tomatoes in, but they're in the ground already, so... Thanks. Hi, Melly. Thanks a lot. Hey. All right, thank you. We have to take a break Where for news. Where's she going from? Concord. Concord. Okay, Concord, so. which is interesting because Concord has a variable climate. I yeah. mean, there are warmer parts of Concord, yeah. similar cooler to here, parts of yeah. Concord. Well, not so similar just because right. of its proximity to the coast, at right. least closer than here. Okay. And so you have warmer parts and cooler parts, depending on which side of town you live in there. All right, we'll take a break for news. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you can answer this tomato question because it's the tomato show on Get Growing today. Don Shore is here from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis, the official hanging judge and jury for today's competition. Name a hybrid variety of a tomato. Why a hybrid? Mm. Because a lot of this discussion we've been having on this show and the show before this, Don, we were talking about training wheel tomatoes. Tomatoes that are easy for first-time gardeners to grow or people who just want a uh, I won't say a surefire tomato, but one that has a minimum of problems. Right. And generally, that's hybrid tomatoes right. as opposed to an heirloom tomato. So the question is, name a hybrid variety of a tomato. Am I allowed to correct you? Oh, yeah. As opposed to an open-pollinated Thank tomato. you. Yes, because <laughs> aren't all heirlooms open-pollinated? Yes, but not all open-pollinated tomatoes are heirlooms. 
And I would and continue this discussion. The example would, would mess up the garden grower. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so we'll so talk again, about it all right. at, at the end. Okay, all right. It's like so a hybrid is... All cactus are succulents, but not all succulents Back in the dark ages, I worked at a nursery. Um, wait a minute. Let me finish this here so people okay. can call in. Oh, yeah, they yeah. They need yeah, to numbers, know the numbers. Numbers, things like that. Yeah, yeah things yeah. like that. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a hybrid variety of a tomato. First five callers win. Caller number five gets a bonus prize because, as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. So caller five has it toughest of all. So while you're ruminating on that, let's try not to mention any tomato varieties. Without mentioning any names, when I was a teenager, I worked at a nursery. So that was the 1970s. Thank you. And these old guys, about my age now, would come in and they'd grump because we were selling hybrid tomatoes and you, quote, can't save the seed. End right. quote. Mm-hmm. So that's a key characteristic right. of a hybrid tomato. Is I mean, you can save the seed, but, but what the, you get the progeny of that the the seedlings will grow into a variable batch of of plants with a variable batch of fruit. And whereas an open pollinated yeah. tomato, you can save the seed. First of all, they're self pollinating, so generally speaking, they'll come true from seed. If you really want to make sure of it, you cover them after you tickle them. Mm-hmm. But it does not. You don't have to worry about that necessarily. And the seedlings of an open pollinated type will be almost always, 99 times out of 100, just like the parent. But to keep that open pollinated trait, you have to plant those open pollinated tomato plants far away from any other varieties. You have to cover that. You what you want to do, the the bees do go between tomatoes and they will carry pollen, but that isn't how a tomato naturally pollinates. The male and female flowers of most of them are right in close proximity. All it takes is vibration for the male. Isn't it the same flower? uh, It is. It's in the same flower. And the parts are right there. Is that called a perfect flower? It is perfect. I think that's a great term for it. And they, they brush against each other and so it doesn't require a bee to even come visit. Now bees, you know, bumblebees just buzzing will mm-hmm. cause them to, to, the vibration will cause, you can do it yourself yeah. by tickling them. Exactly. And so you, you can, if you really want to make sure that you save a particular heirloom or open pollinated type, you tickle it and then you just cover it to make sure the bees don't mm-hmm. get at it. You don't actually have to isolate the plant like you do with corn. You just have to isolate that blossom and make sure to save that. Fruit. The other option is if you're growing your seedlings in, say, a greenhouse, is to have a, a fan a fan on there. Mm-hmm. Just moving the plant. Yeah. Just, vibration. Or so, an old electric toothbrush. So the way they create the hybrids is they maintain two parent lines, and they're hand-crossing between those parent mm-hmm. lines. Every seed you buy was created by hand pollination between the parent lines of, say, that variety or the other variety. You can grow them out. You can actually do it. It's been done with certain well-known varieties Mm -hmm. where they'll take them, grow out the seedlings, save the ones that look just like the parent, which might be five out of a hundred, grow them out, save the ones that look just like the parent. You got to be an expert. You got to know exactly what you're looking for. Uh, But you know, if it's a unique color, that's fine. But let's just say it's like some six ounce red round tomato. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to distinguish it from all the others as having the characteristics of that variety you're trying to save. That would be a good homegrown experiment for you you people and your kids is to, uh, okay, grow hybrid tomatoes this year. Grow the seed. Yeah. Save the seed. Grow it next year, that seed. Yeah. What do you get? Do you See get the you same get. plant? They're, they're edible. I mean, I had yeah. a customer tell me at one point, oh, those tomatoes I bought from you for a, year, a few years ago or have worked out really great. And I said, wait a minute, what, you did what? Yeah, I got them from you. I got, he rattled off a few names. That, and I've just been saving the seed and growing. I said, you've created your own land race. You've created your own little yes. backyard strain of tomatoes from a combination of a hybrid and heirlooms that he bought. Probably doesn't even remember what they were. Yeah, yeah, they've done really great, Don. They've been really great all these years. Okay, well, that's I mean, they're edible. It's not like they they come out with something that's horrible. 
but it's not predictable and doesn't necessarily have the disease resistance that's built into some of these. Yeah, hybrids. there's that. That's the key thing. And, and, and other things. Yeah, those trees you sold me did that. really great for several years. Huh, interesting. <laughs> it's not like fruit trees. You know, you generally right. buy them new ones each year. <laughs> All right, so name a variety of hybrid tomato. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Who's up first here? Let's go to Colfax and Ray. Hello, Ray. Hey, how you doing? Hey, we're doing fine. You know of any uh, hybrid varieties off the top of your head? Yeah, how about an early girl? There you go. Early <laughs> Figure that would be one of the first ones to come up. Yep. One way to tell when you're shopping for tomatoes, whether it's hybrid or uh, open-pollinated or heirloom, would be that if it on that label it says V, F, N, T, or A. Any combination of those. Yeah, yeah. The, which is resistance to verticillium, fusarium, tobacco mosaic virus, alternaria, or whatever. Uh, that would indicate it's a hybrid. I'm pretty sure early girl is a VF. Not a VFN. I don't know if it's N, but it's got verticillium and fusarium resistance. Okay. But early girl, good answer there, Ray. So what do we have for everybody today, Fred? We have, oh, from the Farmer Fred Fine Library of, of Paper Clogged in a Garage, Ter- terrific tomato tips and tomato troubleshooter. So those two uh, sheets of handy information coming your way, Ray. I've got a tip about green tomato use also. Okay. okay. My grandmother used to use her green tomatoes, and she'd make uh, what she used to call a green tomato apple pie. Hmm. She'd use the same recipe as an apple pie, but used the green tomatoes. Instead of apples? tell the difference. Did did she have (laughs) apples in that pie? Just tomatoes. Oh, cool. So you just sweetened, chopped? uh, Just fine. You could see the tomato seeds and everything, but... (laughs) Yeah. Well, sugar solves a whole host of problems. Where, where was where was mom? Where was grandma from? Uh, Capitola, California. Oh, okay, really? Yeah. Okay, that's right. a great use for green tomatoes. We're having tomato pie tonight, kids. Yeah, and, okay. and green tomatoes yeah. would hit early in Capitola, yeah. I would think. All right, thanks for the tip. It, it tasted fine. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ray. Thanks. All right. All you're getting, right. You're getting great tips from your listeners today. Hang the early girls in the garage uh, on stems, or yeah. make them into pie. Yeah. There you go. Karen in Auburn's driving somewhere. Hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi there. Hi. I have an answer for your garden grappler. Okay. It's Big Beef. Absolutely. Big Beef was an All-America okay. selection in the 1990s. A good early producer, even though it's a large fruited one and very reliable for at least the early part of the season. And then tends to produce a great late crop as well. Oh, you've seen my big beef. I have yes. grown big beef, yes. Yes, that's I, what they do. Yeah. 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 But, hey, uh, gentlemen, this is a PG show, okay? <laughs> All right, no. <laughs> Boy, Karen, you went there faster than my brain did. I don't know where you've been. But, uh, <laughs> okay. okay. All right, but I'll be sending you some pieces of paper there, Karen. Yes, sir. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks for calling. Thanks so much. All right. Okay, you guys have a great Sunday. You too. All right. Bye. And by the way, that's a great start right there for your garden, an early girl and a big beef. Yeah. Both good early producers. Or early girl. What about a big boy or a better boy? I grew big boy last year. Oh, Fred, quit giving answers. (laughs) Oh, man. You see, that's what happens here. Next. Yeah. Phil and Moraga, who knows too much. Hey, Phil. Hi, Phil. (laughs) Well, should I use one of the ones you just said? Yeah, go go ahead. Tie? Make me feel Ber- bad. How about Berkeley tie-dye? Uh, I don't think that's a hybrid, actually. I think that's an heirloom. So you better have a is back. Is it really? I'm pretty well, sure it now, is. This is kind of a gray area when we're coming to Brad Gates and, and Wild Boar Farms and what he's developing there. He no, likes to call a, them heirlooms of the future. No, Berkeley tie-dye is an open-pollinated strain. So that's not okay. a hybrid. 
I'm sorry, sorry to I'm tell a, you. I'm sorry to tell you. How about Big Boy? That's a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Fred. <laughs> yeah, yeah anytime, Phil. <laughs> All right. I'll send you some paper. All right. Good <laughs> tomato planting day. All right. Thank you. Happy tomato planting day to you, Happy too. Happy birthday. Thank you. All right. Later. All right. Yeah, Berkeley, Berkeley tie-dye has been around a while. It's an heirloom. It's one that Brad grows. Mm-hmm. I think his version of it is the pink Berkeley tie-dye, right. which yeah. happens spontaneously. And uh, these are these open-pollinated, uh, whether you can call pink Berkeley tie-dye an heirloom, uh, probably not because it, uh, it's contemporary. The, the rule I've heard is it's an heirloom if it came out before World War II. Before that particular hybrid you mentioned a moment yeah, ago, yeah. Big Boy, yeah. which was like the first hybrid that really We can mention on. Big Boy, Big Beef, and Early Girls since right. they've already been mentioned. And that one was a big seller in the 1950s, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. It really came on the market, and it changed people's purchasing habits over to where those grumpy old guys would come in the nursery I was working at and say, I can't save the seeds of that one. Yeah. You, know, you have to buy a new plant every year. I'm so sorry. Welcome to modern <laughs> agriculture. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, uh, we have to take a break. They were, so. 50, they were 59 cents each back then, too. So you know The plant? Yeah. yeah that's about right. 59 cents in the yeah. 1970s. Wow. Uh, <laughs> we have one open line, 576-1578 here in the 916, or 866-331-8255. Looking for callers 4 and 5 in today's Garden Grappler. Name a hybrid variety of a tomato. Okay. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Don Shore from Redwood Barn Nursery, we're in the midst of the Garden Grappler. Five people naming a hybrid variety of a tomato. Hybrids usually have disease resistance, uniformity of growth, maybe a longer harvest season. Uh, so more far, productive. More productive. Uh, answers so far have included Early Girl, Big Beef, and Big Boy. And there's plenty more out there. Call at number four in today's Garden Grappler. It's Miles here in Sacramento. Hi, Miles. Hi. Hi, Miles. So go ahead. Give us a hybrid tomato variety. Uh, the sweet, the, I mean, the sweet gold. Sweet gold. Yeah, yes, sweet that gold. is a hybrid. That's Very a good, good one, too. Yeah. That's an improvement on sun gold. Do you grow that one? Yes. Good. Good. Okay, cool. Now, you, do you prefer sweet gold to sun gold, Don? I think sweet gold is said to be sweeter and more productive. It's hard to imagine a more, smaller a more productive one than yeah. sun gold, but it's a really good one. I it's recall great. growing sweet gold one year. I think yeah. I was underwhelmed by the size. Right. I mean, for it to be underwhelmed by a cherry tomato is saying something. Yeah, but there's lots of them. Lots to yeah, pick. lots yeah. of lots yeah. of little BBs to Very pick. Very reliable. There. Good but, choice, Miles. All right, Miles, I'll be sending you uh, the Farmer Fred Terrific Tomato Tips and Tomato Troubleshooter Guides. Thank you. You're welcome, Miles. Thanks, Thanks for calling in. All right. Caller number five. In what today- does caller number five get? Well, this is going to be interesting, and I'll tell you why. Chico, uh, Cindy in Chico is caller number five. Cindy lives Hi. in Chico. Hi, Fred. This is Cindy. Yes. In Chico. Um, I'm thinking of Beefmaster. Is that hybrid? That is a hybrid, yes. Beefmaster oh, is, right. a, is a hybrid. Oh, that now, yeah. here, here's the issue, Cindy. What's the issue? I have a your choice of grand prizes here. Oh dear! I can send you two <laughs> tickets to the Folsom Garden Tour, which will be April twenty seventh and twenty eighth. New, too far away. That's I'm what I thought sorry, you'd say. Sorry. I there's a new book out called My Gardening Journal, which is like a garden diary that you keep. So it's got plenty of 
blank pages, but with a lot of information on different topics where you can mm. keep records of what you grew and and uh, how it performed. And it, it's a very interesting little book, or a copy of the Old Farmer's Almanac 2019 Garden Guide. So the choice I is yours. the diary. The diary. Okay, well, that that would. Yeah, yes, I haven't done one of those in years, and right. I've been here since '85. Well, there you go. It's called My Gardening Journal, and it's from Fox Chapel Publishing. So I'll be sending that your way. That sounds like a winner. Just to let you know that everything's blooming in Chico Hay Fever's rampant oh, all yeah. around. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I love springtime and just let's not have any more thunder, tornado storms. Yeah, yeah really. please. And not on April 28th either, yeah. if you'd prefer. Uh, please. <laughs> yeah, pollen. Oh, it's a good year for pollen, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes, during that major storm we had a couple of weeks ago with all the hail, yeah. we actually had a storm linger over Chico for about five hours. Mm. And it shredded my hydrangeas. Oh, dear. With the new blooms. I thought somebody took a shotgun to a, yeah. of my plants. Oh, yeah. it, it was from the hail. Good news, they will re-sprout. Afraid you may have lost your blooms for a while, but they will come back. They got a, they got a bad pruning. Yes, they sure did. Right. But yes, even the streets of Chico were flooded, the main thoroughfare. So it was quite a doozy from 4.55 until 10.15 wow. that Tuesday evening. Wow. Wow. Yep. That was a long one. Yeah, it was, but it was interesting. Lots of hail quite deep in the in the streets and flooding up. Onto the driveways of most of the territory. Well, Cindy, I'll be sending you that book from Fox Chapel Publishing on my gardening journal. Well, I thank you so much. I enjoy your show. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. It's and a really be, good idea to keep a journal like that, especially when you're a new gardener. Yeah. I had, uh, as I showed you earlier, I brought in my garden journal I've been yeah. keeping for 25 years. Yeah. And uh, it's full now. <laughs> well, I've been able to keep a database information now that we have computers and such so I can track the tomatoes Ooh. better. But, I mean, it was just like yours before. It was a calendar, and I was yeah. writing things down on it, like, In better boy great this year yeah. and circling it, that kind of thing. Right. Or, you know, weird weather affected fruiting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one question comes in from Curtis in San Jose, so okay. we have to take that into consideration since all gardening is local. Curtis says, I'm listening to the show and would like some recommendations for determinate tomato cultivars. Okay. All right. Ace is a classical, classic determinate tomato. So Ace uh, is the place for classic Ace, determinate Ace would be tomatoes. Husky gold, husky gold, husky red. They're not technically determinate. They're dwarf indeterminate. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting into some obscure stuff here. But what that really means is that they grow very compact plants and produce very, very well. These are ones I find myself selling to people who want to grow tomatoes in containers. The husky gold, husky red, husky pink. Right. Very good flavor fruit, smallish fruit, but not cherry size. Uh, we mentioned Ace um, uh, Paste patio. tomatoes, a lot of paste tomatoes. Yeah. Are, well, are Roma, yeah, about, yeah, Roma is a classic yeah. one. It San only gets Marzano two, two by two. Viva Italia. Uh, and Patio is a one that was introduced years ago as a little compact determinate tomato mm-hmm. variety. It will stay maybe two to three feet and give a good yield for folks who are limited to container. That's a cherry oh, tomato. That's it. Well, it's a little bigger than a cherry, but yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically, yeah. So determinates, again, to define it, are tomatoes that generally set mostly at the same time, perfect for canning. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the reason I like the Husky series is they're actually technically not, but they stay small. Yeah. So they're, and there's one that's an interesting one. We're going to talk celebrity here. Celebrity. Yes. <laughs> it's semi-determinate. <laughs> Grows to about five feet or so and produces all season, produces large-ish fruit. Uh, some people swear by it. Yeah. It definitely is a reliable producer. I get a lot of sunburn on mine, but those first ones we mentioned, I think are going to be better choices for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, in my 
experience with celebrity, and that's years of growing it, it always had more of an indeterminate nature in that it set fruit throughout the entire season. Right. And I don't know where they got semi-determinate from. It's just not, a very, maybe vigorous, in, it's just in not Cur- very vigorous. Maybe where Curtis mind. lives in San Jose, maybe yeah. it is more determinate. Now, one of those ones I brought you. Okay, one either Valley Girl, girl or... Valley Girl valley is girl. a determinate That's tomato. Right. Yeah. So if, I don't know if you'll be able to find it at your garden center nearby you. You might want to do it from seed. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a uh, challenger to the throne of early girl. On a determined Valley Girl. Valley Girl. And the Valley other girl. one was New Girl. New Girl. New girl. Okay. So watch for those. All right. Okay. We have time for one more phone call before we uh, do something else. Let me see if I can get the thing. To- oh, I, did, I hung up on Ted, didn't I? Call back, Ted. All right. And that's, uh, that happens. I want to emphasize also, we're talking tomatoes now, and whenever this show might be listening, listening to it on podcast or rerunning, but you can plant tomatoes here in the Sacramento Valley and into the east part of the Bay Area. All the way through May and all the way into June and still get very, very good results. Here. You said you uh, tested planting on 4th of July. I did. I did a 4th of July test with four varieties, and they all yielded 20 to 40 fruit in the month of October. And so. we should point out, too, that you, you wouldn't, you could start tomatoes from seed now, but you're pushing it. You'd be getting a late crop from them. I yeah. would suggest if you do that, you also run out and buy yourself an early girl big beef. What was that list we came up with with the five that called in? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> early we, girl big beef. Oh, big, that. Okay. Yeah. Big boy, sweet gold, and uh, I can't read my writing. Beefmaster. That one I would not recommend, yeah. but okay. the other four are great. And we don't really like the beefsteak beefmaster types because they're just not as heat tolerant in terms of fruit set. But Let's see if I can are... hang up on Ted again. There you go. Don't you dare. All right, I <laughs> Hi, won't. Ted. Hi, Ted. <laughs> Hi there. Um, I have a question on my garlic. I'm looking at it right now. I've never noticed this before, but coming up from the center, right where there should be, I think one stalk that I recall in the past, there's three to five small, um, they almost look like feathers, but they're new, new stalks coming up in the center. Are they kind of curly? No, no, they're all like, like they're going to produce a main stalk coming up. And I don't know if I should cut them out of there yeah. or. Is there a bulb at the end of them? Does it have, does it have a bulb on the top? No, no, no. These not are not. Spikes. No, okay. yeah. no, they're just growing. Mm, boy, you got me. That's where a picture would be worth a thousand words here I because can, that would probably be I a better bet. I would send a picture to Fred because yeah. uh, then okay. he can pass that around. We have seen some weird things. On onions and garlic this year, because of all the rain, yeah. I've seen some uh-huh. disease, disease problems on them that I don't we don't normally get here. So it wouldn't surprise me if something has happened to your plant. That's well, these not, sound like scapes. But these sound more like just something went wrong yeah. or weird with your flower spikes or flower scapes on them. So. Yeah. yeah, well, it doesn't have... I've grown these for years yeah. and years, and this is... Never I'm happened. looking at it, and they all... It looks like a, a feathery thing, and anywhere from three to five of these coming right out of the center where the stalk comes up. So with that phone that you're talking on, you could probably take a good picture, a nice close-up picture. Oh, he of will. He and, will. And what's Fred's, what's Fred's email? Yeah. I will send that to Fred and hope I get an answer. And on tomatoes, I have 30 early girls. I don't grow anything else. Really? Okay. Yep. They, uh, they are works. the producers. It's now, a very good producer. I wanted to ask, I have a, sh- I think it's a sugar gold instead of sun gold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. There is. Oh. Sugar gold's a little bit smaller than a sun gold. Yep. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to get a sun gold eventually, but that's right. what I saw okay. in the store. So Ted, we have to run. 
All right. Okay. Thanks Thank for you. I'll Thanks for the picture. Okay. All right. All right. All right. And Don Shore has to run. He has a nursery to go work at. We're going to go open up Redwood Barn Nursery. We're on 5th Street in Davis between L and Pole Line. Look for the bright red barn as you head down 5th Street. You can't miss us. Noon to 5? Noon to 5 on Sundays, 9 to 5.30 Monday through Saturday. And what are the two days a year you're not open? We are three, actually. Three. We close on oh. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Day. Okay. That's and it. the only golfer whose name you know, I think, just won a tournament. Did he win? Uh, judging Tiger by oh, the happy goodness. smiles on his face. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Fred, good to be here. All Thanks. right, Don, thank you. All right, coming up, we visit with an artist who took a painting of Prince and gave him a big fancy hairdo made out of a Photinia plant, much to her surprise, thanks to mulch. Huh? Well, listen and find out. We talk with artist Christine Stein when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred, Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Hi everybody, Farmer Fred on the road, and we all know the value of mulch. Mulch does a whole host of good for your garden. It suppresses weeds, it keeps the soil temperature moderate, it keeps the soil moisture at moderate levels as well, and as it breaks down, it feeds the soil, and that's why Prince has hair. What are you talking about, Fred? Well, let me tell you, I'm here in Citrus Heights with artist Christine Stein. We're here on Chancery Court in Citrus Heights where Christine has constructed a monument to Prince with a Photinia for his hair. And when the Photinia is in bloom like it is now, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So you must be a big fan of Prince, Christine. Oh, yeah, but people who come here are even bigger fans. Ah, oh, how far away have people come from to see this? Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> and some people from Europe say they're going to come here, but I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> well, it is amazing. Uh, in what era of Prince did he have an afro like that? This, uh, the picture I took it from was from 2014 from his Artificial Age album. So what was the inspiration? What did you have to do to have Prince with a Photinia hairdo? At first, it was um, a Bob Ross mural. I wanted to, you know, make the <laughs> bush prettier because the bush was pretty ugly when I moved in. You know, it was out of control. So I, I rounded it and I put a picture of um, Bob Ross there. It only lasted a couple of months before it fell. And then I had to put a new one in. And I heard that um, Prince just passed. And I was like, I'll make a tribute to Prince. And I saw a picture of him online. I thought it was really pretty. So I um, painted it. And it lasts about two years before that fell, too, because um, I painted on plywood. So this time I actually uh, varnished it. <laughs> so mm. maybe it'll last longer. Um, after the first time it flowered, I was like, this is really this is really pretty and I don't want it to um, go away. So I painted a, a new mural where the sunglasses come on and off because I like both pictures. I didn't know which one I wanted to choose. Now, the beauty of this uh, Photinia in bloom, it, it does... Well, actually, you know what it reminds me of is the cover to the Mott the Hoople album, The Hoople, which has something very similar to that. But the blooms in the Photinia just set it off. But you were saying that it really didn't take its current shape or form until somebody dumped some mulch in front of it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I painted um, the painting of Prince in 2016, and then, you know, it wasn't blooming for as long as I could remember. It was, you know, really uh, barren bush. And then somebody dumped all this mulch and I was, I was trying to take a picture of the license plate I, I didn't get to. And like a couple months later, 
it just started blooming with all of these flowers and bees. Well, the bees didn't bloom, they just came. <laughs> and birds, and it was so beautiful. And my husband told me to come outside and take a picture of it, and I, and I was stunned because it was beautiful. And I didn't know mulch could do that. <laughs> mulch, as it breaks down, does feed the soil. So if you had a struggling fetinia there, then that uh, mulch certainly helped feed the plant. And it, it, the fetinia is doing what it normally does in the springtime, which is to put out new growth of red leaves and, of course, the white flowers that attract mm-hmm. the bees. And you're right, a fetinia plant like that does attract all sorts of birds because to them that's a safe haven, especially for the small birds. Yeah, usually the birds that um, only tweet at night are in there so I could hear them all night Um, but they only stay here for a couple of weeks and then they move on it's a beautiful plant and you do you water it the sky waters it okay fine (laughs) fine I mean a a photinia plant if it's in a a low-lying area and there if your neighbors have their sprinklers on it might catch some of that water um yeah I think Sacramento does a really good job the sky does a really good job at um, watering it for me. I only water my um, boxes with mulch inside of it. Um, I didn't think that anything would grow if I just fill them with uh, mulch, but I had to put the mulch somewhere, so I made garden boxes. And my plants are still alive after a year. Now, this also is amazing. Now, you showed me the picture of the mulch that was dumped into your yard by accident by some trucking firm. They had a dump truck, and it looked to be like about a 10-yard load of mulch. So you spread out some underneath the fotinia, and then you had all this leftover mulch. And you have these raised beds here on your side yard that are about two and a half feet tall and about anywhere from four feet to six feet long. And you've got succulents in them, and they're growing just in mulch. Yep, just in mulch nothing else and if you dig just even a couple of inches below you can see um, all the how it's composted and how rich it is and it's still very moist even though I haven't watered it in like weeks well that's okay it's been a wet winter so I'm (laughs) sure it's fine and but kids don't try this at home I mean you can try growing in straight mulch as an experiment but it really depends on the source of that mulch uh, just how uh, nutrient rich it it might be I think you got really lucky Christine and got yourself 10 free yards (laughs) of of nutrient rich mulch yeah that was that was very surprising I didn't think I would like it and but it has um, made my garden bloom and it keeps the flooding away actually it absorbs into the um, mulch very well and all the mulch that you've spread around the yard too it it looks great you truly do have the house of mulch (laughs) yeah and oh gosh it takes the weeds away too i used to have a lot of weeds um up to you know up to four feet tall um when i moved in and has kept it away for gosh several years now um just now it's a couple of weeds are coming up only because the mulch has disintegrated so much over the years you are a testimony to the power of mulch. Yeah. It's created a, a a beautiful portrait of Prince that the picture you've posted on Facebook, elsewhere circulating on social media, has attracted a lot of interest. You, you said you had people coming here from as far as Atlanta to see it. Oh, yeah. I would love some more mulch <laughs> um, because uh, my mulch is, uh, has um, composted away. Um, and I've used it for um, my garden beds. I keep on adding it from the ground into my garden beds and then keeps on feeding my plants and I do need some more. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what this mulch really is. It, it's not a, a straight mulch per se that you might buy from a, a sand and gravel yard. These are chipped 
and shredded tree parts. It was probably a tree company that dumped the load here. Instead of taking it to the dump after they trimmed a tree or, oh, yeah. or took a tree down, they chipped and shredded it, had it in their truck, and then backed up the truck and dumped it in your yard for whatever reason. But uh, you ought to thank them. Yeah, I'll <laughs> thank them if they could come forward. <laughs> I could use some more, like five more yards. That'd be great. <laughs> Chipped and shredded tree parts are probably the best mulch be- because they uh, intertwine so well. They don't blow away. Mm-hmm. And it looks nice. I really like the color of chipped and shredded uh, tree parts after they've gone through a chipper shredder. And uh, it does a whole host of good. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a tree company because I have a whole bunch of logs, too. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I love mulch. It's It's really nice, especially this one. Let's see if you, if you just dig down a little bit. We're, we're, we're digging down into the mulch pile now. And yes, excellent. <laughs> it's basically turning into its own soil. So that's why, uh, because it is breaking down, you're having success with the plants, especially mm-hmm. that beautiful fetinia that mm-hmm. is now Prince's hairdo uh, here in Citrus Heights. Christine Stein, artist, no doubt. And a, even though you deny being a gardener, you're very successful. <laughs> you know, I credit it all to the mulch. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Christine. Thanks for coming. And again, Christine Stein's artwork of Prince with his Fotinia hairdo can be found on Chancery Court in Citrus Heights. You can't miss it. It's right on the street. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KST. Welcome back to the program. A lot of garden events happening over the next few weeks. Let's uh, hit some of the highlights. Like, for instance, today, looking for something to do this afternoon? How about on this April the 14th, heading to the Bonsai Show, which is going on at the uh, Shepherd Garden and Art Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard. It's their 60th annual Bonsai Show with a demonstration at 1.30 p.m., and it's free, so you can check that out. That's going on. Shepherd Garden and Arts Center there in McKinley Park. Uh, this time of year, it usually has something going on every weekend. Next weekend, the 20th and 21st, it's the Iris Society show and sale. Then on April 27th, Sacramento Rose Society has their show going on on that Saturday at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. So check it out. Like orchids, then today, April 14th, uh, head to the 72nd Annual Orchid Show and Sale. 10 to 5, excuse me, 10 to 4 today at the Scottish Rite Masonic Center at 6151 H Street in Sacramento. And uh, they have orchid vendors, show tours, educational seminars, demonstrations, door prizes. And uh, there is a fee to get in, 10 bucks. But if you like orchids, not a big deal. More information available at sacramentoorchids.org. Also going on today. And you only have a couple more hours for this until 2 o'clock at the Old City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway Streets. If you want some old roses, the historic city cemetery and the uh, folks that run the rose garden there have a sale of over 500 rose plants propagated from their rare and historic rose collection. And they're going to have a tour, too. It's at the Old City Cemetery, 10th and Broadway Plenty of free street parking, and again, that's only till 2 o'clock today. So if you want to uh, purchase some cuttings of some old historic plants, roses, drop by there. Better get moving. 
All right. Also coming up, uh, actually, this is coming up next Saturday, April 20th. The Master Food Preservers of San Joaquin County have a class on food preservation that they want the kids to get involved in. They're calling it the Mom and Me class, although dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas are all welcome, too. The Master Food Preservers will be making dehydrated strawberries and pickled asparagus. It's a hands-on workshop. Registration fee is for one parent and one child. Children must be 9 to 18 years of age. Class size is limited to 10 adults and 10 children. To register, visit their website or just do an Internet search for San Joaquin County Master Food Preservers and uh, find out about their April 20th uh, preservation clinic. And the, the, the URL for this is a little too complicated, but um, you know what I mean. $35 is the class to register two people. All right. Coming up Friday, the 19th, the El Dorado County Master Gardeners have Sherwood Demonstration Garden Open Day. They have 16 individual gardens that they've built that are open to the public. The Master Garden Gardener docents are available for information and gardening questions. They have beautiful plants, a lot of spring blooms, fruits and vegetables that are growing in their local climate. And again, it's Friday only, the 19th, 9 to noon at the Sherwood Demonstration Garden which is at 6699 Campus Drive in Placerville. Also, that same day, at the Sherwood Demonstration Garden, they have a plant sale going on from 9 to 11. It's their annual plant sale extravaganza. Hundreds of healthy plants tenderly grown by Foothill Master Gardeners will be sold at reasonable prices. They'll have heirloom tomatoes, summer vegetables, perennials, natives, and a lot more proceeds support their demonstration garden Cash and check only, please. Shep, uh, Sherwood Demonstration Garden is at 6699 Campus Drive in Placerville. And again, that plant sale, along with their open garden, the sale 9 to 11. The whole gardens open up from 9 to noon. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, the Folsom Garden Tour, April 27th and 28th. The Gardens of Folsom, it's their 19th annual tour. And that weekend, the 27th and 28th, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, six gardens or nine gardens, depending on how you look at it, because their sixth garden is actually three yards all in a row on Young Ho Circle, which is an intriguing neighborhood near uh, historic Folsom. It uh, backs up to the bike trail, and it, it really is kind of a little planned community. What I like about it is all the streets, much like uh, old Sacramento or, or even the older parts of uh, Midtown, uh, the garages are on alleys. So there are no garage doors staring at you as you drive by. That's kind of nice. So in the very, I won't say compact homes, but they're smaller homes, but they're all very neatly arranged and uh, everybody has pride of ownership in that area of Young Ho Circle off Folsom Boulevard. And those three homes uh, will be very interesting. And that's just part of the garden tour in Folsom, uh, April 27th and 28th, 11 to 4 o'clock. Tickets available at uh, many locales, including American River Ace Hardware there on Greenback Lane, Green Acres Nursery in Folsom, the Blossom Shop in Folsom on Natoma Street, Rayleigh's on Blue Ravine, Bushnell Garden Nursery on Douglas and Granite Bay. And on the day of uh, the tour, if uh, you need to buy a ticket, the first uh, house will be selling tickets at 1332 Parsons Court in Folsom, and that's uh, on the day of the events, April 27th and 28th, the Folsom Garden Tour. All right, uh, what else is going on here? 
Oh, how about a, another native tour on April 27th, 9.30 to 4 o'clock. It's the Gardens Gone Native Garden Tour. And these are gardens located in a wide area. Sacramento, Yolo, and Placer County areas, native gardens. And it's sponsored by the uh, Sacramento Valley California Native Plant Society. It's a free self-guided tour with gardens that are comprised of at least 50% California native plants. A lot of variety, a lot of beauty, versatility, hardiness of California native plants. Uh, More information available at their website, sacvalleycnps.org, sacvalleycnps.org. The ninth Annual Gardens Gone Native Garden Tour, April 27th, 930 to 4 o'clock. How about a succulent sale? Saturday, May 4th, the Solano County Master Gardeners uh, have a succulent show and sale at 501 Texas Street in Fairfield, Uh, Watch for the signs. It's near the Solano County buildings. It's a free event open to the public. They'll have classes on succulent propagation at 9 o'clock, on soils for succulents and succulent care at 10 and 11 o'clock. Plus, Master Gardeners will be there to answer your questions about succulents. It's a hot commodity these days, growing succulents. And they'll have succulent, succulent plants of many sizes and species will be for sale. And some will be in decorative containers just in time for Mother's Day on the 11th. But this, uh, again, is May 4th, 9 to noon. All right. Also on the weekend of May 4th and 5th, it's the 10th Annual Gardens of the Hills Tour, private garden tours in El Dorado County. Uh, they're going to be uh, touring gardens uh, like in the Granite Bay area. No, that would be Placer County. I'm sorry. Um, El Dorado Hills, Shingle Springs that area exceptional uh, storybook gardens and it's a fundraiser for the assistance league sierra foothills chapter and tickets are available at pottery world in el dorado hills and rockland uh, green acres nursery in folsom rod works in folsom el dorado county uh, chamber of commerce in placerville country elegance in placerville also more information and tickets online at their website assistanceleague.org slash Sierra-Foothills. You got that? Maybe just do a search of annual Garden of the Hills tour of El Dorado County. And uh, the Internet, which is much smarter than us, will come up with the answer. Also on May 4th, it's a honey festival in downtown Woodland. The California Honey Festival is on May 4th from 10 to 5 o'clock in partnership with the Honey and Pollination Center at the Robert Mondavi Institute. It's a free event featuring honey-inspired beverages and cuisine, honey farms, live entertainment, 150 vendors and exhibits. And it's going to be in downtown Woodland, right on Main Street, historic downtown Woodland. And more information available at CaliforniaHoneyFestival.com, CaliforniaHoneyFestival.com. Let's see, Saturday, May 4th, Morning Sun Herb Farms, 24th Annual Open House, And they'll have all sorts of uh, vendors there to celebrate herbal-based businesses and lots of education on herbs and vegetables, crafts, and more. And I'll even be talking there. They have a big lineup of speakers that day. I'll be talking at 1130 on tomato troubleshooting there at Morning Sun Herb Farm in Vacaville at their 24th annual open house, 9 to 5 o'clock, Morning Sun Herb Farm. At 6137 Pleasance Valley Road in Vacaville, visit their website for more information, morningsunherbfarm.com. And then one more, and then I'll shut up. May 1st is the deadline 
The Roseville Better Gardens Club is giving away money. They have scholarships. The club is offering this educational opportunity to help college students pursue a horticultural-related bachelor's or master's degree, and one-year scholarships are available for an award amount of $500. It's open to college students who are pursuing a career in horticulture or agriculture. And if you want more information about this, you can visit their website, CaliforniaGardenClubs.com, CaliforniaGardenClubs.com, or just do a search for Roseville Better Gardens Club Scholarship, and probably that information will pop up. Alex, i got to leave, don't I? Yeah, all right. I'm going to go do some vegetable shopping, I think. And um, stay tuned for the farm hour. I can't go very far, can I, for another hour? Because the KSDE Farm Hour is coming up. And we talk about glyphosate and what's happening with that in the world of ag. It's one of the most used farm chemicals. It's the weed killer glyphosate. And it's losing battles in California courts. It's being rejected by insurance companies for coverage back east. Farmers are wondering how long will glyphosate be available. We take that up on the KSDE Farm Hour. Also, we talk with the Northern California Farm Advisor about California's extensive acres of almonds. How are they faring in this wet, cool, early spring? And also, we talk about Pierce's disease and the battle to control that deadly, great problem. That's coming up next on the KSDE Farm Hour, noon to 1 o'clock. I'll be back again next Sunday with another throwback episode of Get Growing. Thank you, Alex, for your efforts in this behalf. Maybe they ought to pick up a copy of your CD, too. remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'll mention it next week. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.